Hello, and welcome to Unlucky, episode 13 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes the characters in a horror movie to realize that they shouldn't go down into the basement. Seriously, never go down into the basement. It does not end well. Today, we'll be discussing games we've played recently, like Mythos Tales, Tokaido, and Mice and Mystics. Then, since Halloween is this weekend, rather than discussing a bunch of spooky games, we wanted to do something a little different, and we have a discussion about themes or types of games that scare us. We pull another question out of the metaphorical mailbag, and then we dig into the etymology of the word dungeon. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Since Halloween is coming up, I've been playing Mythos Tales, which is a game that's like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, but it's in the Lovecraft mythos. This game, Mythos Tales, it's a story-driven detective game, cooperative for one to ten or more players probably, where you're, you have this book of locations and you're trying to figure out a mystery. So there's an introduction saying like, oh, this, this thing happened, and you can go anywhere. There's a map with different locations, and you can pick where you want to go, and then there's a little paragraph saying what happens when you get there. And so you go to these different locations and try to solve this mystery. And in Sherlock Holmes, Consulting Detective, it's like a normal, the normal world, the Sherlock universe. But here in Mythos Tales, it's Lovecraft. Lovecraft wrote horror stories about kind of like the normal world, but there's these monsters from another dimension coming into our world. So it's a horror-type detective story. And I think it's cool because there are other games that are in Lovecraft, like Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror, but in those games you're fighting against the monsters, and you don't, you're not really scared of the monsters because you can just go beat them up. But in reality, these monsters are like huge and can kill you really easily, so you should be terrified of them, right? So in Mythos Tales, you're just trying to figure out what's happening, and if you see a monster, you're like really scared and run away. So that's more, I think that's more true to like the horror roots. So yeah, Mythos Tales just came out. I backed it on Kickstarter. I think there was a campaign last year and, or the beginning of this year. And we just got it recently. It's published by 8th Summit Games. And it was actually made by people who are fans of the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective game. They made a couple of cases and put them on BGG first. And it used to be called Arkham Investigators, I think. But then when they published it, they changed the name to Mythos Tales, and there are eight cases and a bonus case for Kickstarter backers. And I think it's available now on Amazon, just the base eight-case game. It kind of sounds right up my alley, actually. I love the uh, Lovecraft lore. Have you played Sherlock Holmes? I haven't yet, but um, some friends of mine have just started playing, and they're like, you have to play this right now. And I said, oh, okay. And is yeah. the con- consulting detective? Is it getting reprinted, or is has it been reprinted recently? I want to say I heard something, um, but my my I'm brain not is not sure. So it was reprinted a couple years ago, I think, or maybe last year, because we got it then. So I'm not sure if it's reprinted again, more recently than that. But basically, the the gist of it is that it is in print and available, and Mythos Tales is kind of just like a cool new version to mm-hmm. some extent that is also yeah. going to be available soon. Yeah, and there's also some changes. So it, there's a time element. So every time you go to a location, it takes time, and then there's a limit to how much time you can take. So th- in Sherlock Holmes, you can just 
take an infinite amount of time and the game can last forever, theoretically, if you just want to keep going to different locations and reading the whole thing. But in Mythos Tales, there's a limit. Um, one of my favorite games is Takedo, and I've uh, had a chance to actually get it back off the shelf. It's been kind of gathering dust for probably six months or so, but there's been a an influx of people wanting to play recently, which makes me happy because I love getting other people excited about uh, this game. So Takedo, first I want to say I bought this at my first Gen Con three years ago, and I was so excited to buy this game. They were in a cash-only booth that I like ran out to the ATM as fast as I could and like ran back as fast as I could to give them all my money for this game because <laughs> I just had to have it. So Takedo is two to five players. It's very lightweight. Uh, you're going to play for about 45 minutes max. It uh, was released in 2012, and it was published in the United States by Passport Games. I love this game purely because of how pretty and calm it is. This game is one of the like lightest colored games I've seen. You don't really see a lot of whiteboards in games, and it's just a relaxing game. The whole the whole concept is you are traveling across Japan, and it's about like this Zen experience of just enjoying everything as you go. So you're going to stop at souvenir shops and buy some things and you're going to stop at the hot springs and take a bath and you're going to stop at the inn and get food and you're going to meet people along the way and it's just a really like relaxing sort of game and I love it. There is there can be some like take that kind of attribute to the game as you and um, everyone else are walking across the path because you can get in other people's way. So let's say I really need to stop and get some money because I need at least two gold to be able to get my meal at the inn. But if somebody else stops at the inn or at the, the farm to get gold, now you can't stop there. So you have no money to eat because that person was sort of mean. <laughs> but maybe they also needed money too. Like, it's possible. So just the whole idea is just nice and relaxing and you just don't get that in a lot of a lot of games these days. It's also very pretty. That's my girly uh very pretty moment. So yeah, it's Kaido, two to five players. This is one of the lightest games one of the lightest games I've played and it's just fun. Yeah, Cassidy, I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that this game is relaxing and that is that's an anomaly in board games. Like, I've never played anything else that was as calm and just chill as Takedo. And I'm not quite certain. Obviously, that's the theme they were going for, but it works so well. And I actually recently got access to the beta version of the app. So I've been playing that on my phone, and it is super awesome. The implementation is great. The artwork is just as gorgeous. The animation, like, they actually show you walking from place to place on the little, like, map. And the music, of course, is beautiful and calm also. So I highly recommend that once the app gets released that people check that out if they like the game, because I think the app version is really good as far as board game apps go. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be all over that. <laughs> over the past few months, some friends of mine in my board game meetup group and I have been playing through the campaign of Mice and Mystics, 
which is a game published in 2012 by Plaid Hat Games, and it's for one to four players. In Mice and Mystics, players take on the roles of heroes who have been turned into mice by the evil Vanestra, and they now have to traverse through the ca- castle, which is 20 times larger to them since they're mice now, and they have to warn the king, save the kingdom, and defeat Venestra. It is a cooperative campaign-based dungeon crawl where players get items and weapons and they can level up their characters. So, And there's this rich, interesting story behind the campaign and each... They're called chapters, so it's like you're going through a storybook, essentially. The enemies are things like rats and cockroaches, and of course, the castle's resident cat, Brody, makes an appearance, and Brody's super scary to the mice. I don't want to spoil any of the story, (laughs) and Cassidy is now holding her cat (laughs) up. Oh no, it's a cat! Run away! (laughs) I don't want to spoil the story for anyone who hasn't played it, so I can't talk too much about what actually happens during the course of the game. But you're moving from, like, there's these tiles, and you're moving from tile to tile with different uh, goals. Like, sometimes you just have to kill all the enemies. Sometimes you have to find a certain thing. You're always looking for new items and stuff like that that can help benefit you. Like, if you find the dinner fork and a grape, you can use the dinner fork to launch the grape as a weapon, basically. Awesome. <laughs> Which is just, it's all adorable. <laughs> My group has only gotten through chapter four of the story so far. We play about once a month during our weekly meetup. So we're getting, th- it's pretty slow going getting through it, but... The backstory and the flavor text is wonderful. My my friend Alyssa is a second grade teacher and she reads all the flavor text to us and she has the best like teacher storytelling voice <laughs> ever. It's wonderful. So I highly recommend that you get a second grade teacher to play with you and read the flavor text because it adds so much to it. Oh yeah, we have teachers in my board game group. I could totally do that. They, I, I, I am, I'm telling you, I'm literally there like a kid with my head on my hands, just like intently listening. And it is, it's awesome. So I think this game, it's really good for families because like for adults who want something strategic, but they want to be able to play with their kids, obviously not like super young kids, but older kids, this would be a great thing for a family to do. And it's, the rules aren't super complex. So I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to people who are completely new to modern board games, but if you have a little bit of knowledge or experience, I think it works out well. And it's fun to play a dungeon crawler that you can actually play with kids because a lot of dungeon crawlers, the themes are a little dark and scarier. And this, because it's mice fighting rats and bugs and stuff, it's, it's cute. And uh, the characters never get killed. Like if your character loses all its health, it's uh, captured by the bad guys. So it definitely, you know, it takes those normal dungeon crawl themes and makes them a little more accessible. And there's also a bunch of expansions that I have not played or seen, but it adds a lot more content to the game as well. So everything that you get in the base box is a lot, but there's even more that you can add to it if you like it. So I give two thumbs up to Mice and Mystics. (laughs) I actually have a uh, stuffed Lily doll in my baby's room. And I own Mike's and Mystics. I just haven't had a chance to play it yet. Aw. 
And Lily is one of the playable characters in the game, for Mm -hmm. those who aren't familiar. So that's cute that you have a doll of her. The mice are really cute. Like, it is adorable. Yeah, I've seen a lot of pictures online of people who've painted their miniatures, too. Mm -hmm. It's really cute. So a good accessory for board games for Halloween game night is music and sound effects. Because when you're playing those scary games, you want some scary music to set the mood. So do you guys, what do you guys think about music during board games? Do you use, what do you use for it? I, I'm a weirdo who can't stand silence. So I often have music playing when we're playing board games, at least not like big raucous party games or whatever else. But so I've used, I've used different means to kind of amp up the environment I guess, in the past, but I haven't done that a lot with scary games, surprisingly. Yeah, but it works well with other games, too. Any type of game, really. Even with uh, train games, (laughs) we've we've had (laughs) music of, like, a train track running (laughs) that we found on YouTube. (laughs) But, yeah, normally I just find, we just find music on YouTube, like a playlist or something. But recently on reddit we saw that there's this site called tabletopaudio.com which has some original music just like ambient sound with a lot of different themes on it so that that will work for a lot of different games i think yeah that one's really cool and i've what i've done in the past um also is pandora playlists can Mm. sometimes be utilized well like if i want just some like non-intrusive cool epic music in the background of a board game night i'll often pick a famous movie score composer like um, Alan Silvestri, I think is a good example. So I'll put, I'll make a station on Pandora based on Alan Silvestri, and then it'll just play a whole bunch of movie like um, scores. So it's mm-hmm. often it's just instrumental, so you don't have lyrics getting in the way, and some of it's just this big, big epic, booming stuff. And sometimes it's a little calmer, but it's nice to have something going in the background. I think. Yeah, movie scores are great, especially if you're playing an IP game, too. Like, if you play a Star Wars game, you can play Star Wars music. <laughs> I, I have definitely put on the Battlestar Galactica soundtrack while playing Battlestar <laughs> yeah. Galactica before. Battlestar Galactica, Battlestar Galactica. I honestly feel like uh, we should make it a point to get you to say Battlestar Galactica in every episode from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i love that tv show and that game so much oh it's fun did i tell you guys that i finally played dark moon i don't think i've discussed it on the podcast yet but ambi i know you've talked about dark moon before and i had discussed the fact that i had never played it and i have played dark moon now and this is sorry this has nothing to do with our accessory segment but <laughs> I I was super bummed that I did not completely dig Dark Moon. And I won when I played. I was the infected and I won. And I still just, it did not scratch the same itch for me that Battlestar Galactica does. And I think that is partially because of how much I love the theme. Like Battlestar Galactica is a good game in and of itself. But that theme, man, ugh, it's so but good. Were you playing Battlestar Galactica music while playing Dark Moon? <laughs> I was not. That so might, maybe that's, why. that's the that's trick. The key. That is the key. I'll play Battlestar Galactica n- music next time I play Dark Moon, and then it, clearly that will help. So yeah, play music, and that'll make every board game better. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I usually don't, actually I've never tried to like cater my music to whatever game we're playing. I usually just have some sort of random 90s list going when people are over for games. But there was one time we played in the basement of this bar and it was sort of dungeon-like and they had fun ambiance for us. <laughs> fun dungeon-like music <laughs> while we were gaming in a dungeon-like environment. Were you playing a dungeon game or like... No, well, as some of us were playing Lords of Waterdeep, so that sort of worked. <laughs> yeah. But no, everybody was sort of playing random stuff. It was uh, Origins weekend one year. Oh, okay. We were all just playing whatever we brought. So it seems like around Halloween every year, a lot of board game podcasts tend to go to what spooky games they enjoy. And we could definitely talk about that. But I feel like the same games are going to come up in a lot of podcasts because there aren't a super large amount of spooky or horror-themed games that exist. Instead of talking about spooky games, let's talk about some game themes or types of board games that scare us. Boo. So for me, I don't like coming up with things on the spot and speaking in public. So that's like a really scary thing for me. So I know we talked about Spyfall a couple of weeks ago. And so that's one thing that's kind of scares me, like coming up with questions and answers on the spot and having to have a nice elaborate answer that makes sense and make up something weird. And there are actually games with this theme that I like for some reason. Like, But Wait, There's More is a game where you're trying to be a salesperson and you have like these random cards of different things that you're trying to sell and you're just coming up with a sales pitch on the spot. And I really enjoy that, even though in real life, that's something that I hate and don't like, would not ever want to do. So that's weird, I think. There's a game I played that I don't remember the name of it, but you had cards and there was like a word on the card and then you had to make up some elaborate story about whatever it was and then pass it to the next person who would then continue the story with one of their cards. And I just can't for the life of me remember the name of this game. Once Upon a Time tells a story. That would be it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's sort of uh, in the same vein of how you're terrified of like coming up with things. Like I'm terrified. I just did not. I'm terrified of this game because I can't. I'm not an on the spot person. Um, I'm really bad at trivia for this reason because I can't. I can't be like, uh, yeah, that's it. That's the answer right there. And it'll be like two seconds after somebody else has already said the answer that I'll be like, oh yeah, I knew that answer. And then everybody's like, sure you did. Yeah, you totally knew that answer. So that sort of terrifies me. Stuff like that. Like I'm not good at, at telestrations. I'm not. Nope. I'll no see, and I love I love telestrations, <laughs> but I think I'm kind of somewhat similar to both of you in that I I'm not afraid of trivia games per se. I don't know. Par- I'm I'm afraid of them in a certain sense. I like trivia games, and I feel like at times I'm really good at them because I have a lot of weird random knowledge in my head that like normal people don't have so like if I've ever gone to like a bar trivia night I tend to do really well at certain questions but then I have this fear of the question coming up that everybody would know the answer to or like everybody should know the answer to and I won't know it and I I guess I have a fear of looking stupid if that makes sense (laughs) like I consider myself to be a very intelligent person so when I don't know something that I feel like I should know it really bothers me and like I have a hard time remembering uh, stuff related to history 
Like, Mm -hmm. if you asked me to name U.S. presidents, especially if it was on the spot, I think I would kind of, I would be like, uh, and I would be able, eventually I'd be able to name a bunch of them, but probably not as many as I should. And if you tried to tell, ask me when those presidents served, (laughs) like what years, oh goodness, it would be ugly. Like, even the ones I could name, I would not be able to tell you what years that they were in office at all. Like, that kind of stuff, years, especially dates, don't stick in my head, and I... I feel dumb when I don't know stuff that's really like, especially big stuff from American history mm-hmm. because I am American. I've lived here my whole life. I feel like I should kind of know that stuff. So yeah. have you played timeline? So, yeah. I was just going to um, say, so timeline American history yeah. is not your game. <laughs> so yeah, like I like timeline, but I am usually very bad at it. And I know there's one about inventions. Yep. I'm, Okay at that one sometimes. American history, not gonna not gonna happen. But isn't there like an art or a like more creative themed one? I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, I think it's Probably. called diversity. Is that the diversity one where they do like art and music and stuff? I think that's what it's called. That one I'm usually a little more good like I know there's one that has like when was the Lord of the Rings books published in it. <laughs> stuff like that, like Anything that's more pop culture related, I'm super knowledgeable about. Pop culture is something that I'm really good with because I do. I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of movies. I listen to a lot of music. So that kind of stuff I'm fine with. But yeah, when it comes to history, it's no bueno. So I'll play Timeline just because it's super quick. Who cares? But I often am sitting there with all five cards in front of me going, I don't know where any of these (laughs) belong. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, I get that same way. Me too. Definitely. But I don't don't think I get scared during trivia. I just feel dumb. But (laughs) another type of game where I get scared is hidden traitor games when I'm the traitor. But I also really enjoy these games. But I get, like, my heart starts racing and I'm like, oh my gosh, are they going to figure out who I am and stuff? (laughs) Yeah, that's me too. But I I really like it when I'm not the traitor. And before the game, I'm always, like, really scared to be the traitor. Um, But I I still like the games, I think everybody has that feeling to some degree because it is more difficult in almost every instance to be the traitor than to not be the traitor. Mm-hmm. I play with a lot of people, though, that really like that challenge. Like, they're like, oh, I really want to be the traitor or the secret spy because I really want the challenge of trying to deceive all of you. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Yeah, I like that. But it's also scary. So, like, some people watch scary movies. And so, this is my version of a scary movie, I guess. That's an interesting point. I generally do not watch any scary movies or TV shows or anything horror themed, primarily because I can't handle that feeling of like dread and anticipation. Like when you know the jump scare is coming and you don't know when, and then I hate the jump scare also. (laughs) So I almost never watch that kind of stuff, but I think that the stories in those in that medium are really interesting. So I generally love horror-themed board games because I get to experience the scary stuff without the parts that I can't handle. You know, there's no jump scares in board games. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome if at some point like somebody released a game so like immersive that you actually do like jump while you're playing the game. That'd be really cool. Tonight, which tonight means nothing to the people listening to this episode because that whatever but i'm actually gonna be playing mansions of madness second edition tonight Mm -hmm. after we record so it would be fun if like that game wouldn't really have jump scares necessarily i guess but like if in uh the implementation of an app into a scary board game if like 
uh, you know, like a, a Wilhelm scream popped up at random in the app just to like mm. kind of unsettle you or something like that. I think maybe you could incorporate jump scares into a scary game if you were using an app as part of the implementation. So maybe that's something that could come up in the future. Yeah. yeah. Or good background music. <laughs> yes. Way to tie it all in. <laughs> So we did our listener question special little thing in our last episode, and we didn't get to answer all of the questions that we were asked. So we figured we'd pull one more question out of the mailbag and answer that this week. So guys, oh, this question came from Jeff. Do you prefer theme heavy games or more abstract games? I guess it really depends on what we mean by abstract games, right? So... To me, an abstract game is going to be something like Blocus or Go or Chess. And if we're comparing those to something thematic, then I would probably prefer something thematic. But if we're thinking about theme-heavy versus more focused on mechanics, like a like a heavy Euro, then I would probably lead toward the Euro because I prefer uh, good mechanics over theme. Yeah, I also prefer good mechanics over theme. Uh, I don't play abstract games like chess or Go or anything, but I like heavy Euros, but I also like thematic Euros. So games that integrate the mechanics well with the theme. One of my favorite games is Kanban, which it's pretty heavy Euro game, not much luck, and I think it's really thematic. I imagine that this will surprise no one who is a regular listener to our (laughs) podcast but I really like thematic games and I do (laughs) yeah I do appreciate good mechanisms and there are games that are less thematic that I really like we discussed in the last episode Kingdom Builder really there's pretty much no theme there and it is one of my favorite games of all time so I won't play I don't play only thematic games but I am definitely drawn to games with a really strong theme and I especially Mm -hmm. love games that have both a really strong theme and good mechanics so also hybrids (laughs) yes (laughs) we want the best of both worlds (laughs) but if you had to choose a game with good mechanics with just some weird theme slapped on or a good theme with some weird mechanics put in which would you play I don't I don't know (laughs) <laughs> I I think, not to toot my own horn, but I think a lot of the games that I've played that had strong themes also had good mechanics. I will not play a game solely because of the theme, or I will not enjoy a game solely because of its theme. Like, I think a good example is I am a big fan of the television show Archer, and there is a board game that exists that I will look the name up of... That when uh, I was in uh, San Diego on vacation, it was at a board game cafe that I visited. So I just grabbed it off the shelf and my husband and I gave it a shot. Oh, Archer, the Danger Zone board game (laughs) released in 2014. (laughs) It is awful. I mean, horrible. And I love Archer a lot. Like of TV shows that I mean, two of my dogs are named after characters from Archer. <laughs> Literally, like Lana and Sterling live in my house. <laughs> so you'd think that the, the theme, you know, might be able to override the mechanics. But in that case, not even close. That game was really, really bad. It's geek rating on Board Game Geek is 4.8, oh. 
which honestly <laughs> I think is is high for how it's generous. That game. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a generous rating, which and that's not a good rating, but it is just not good at all. So theme is not the only thing I look for, but a game with a good theme is something that I will be drawn to potentially. I mean, I did pull this one off the shelf and give it a shot. So that does say something for how much I appreciate theme in a game, but that doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Yeah, I don't, it would not have even gone off the shelf if it was me. I wouldn't have even looked at it. And I love Archer, but I wouldn't have even looked at it. For this week's board game etymology, we're going to look at the origins of the word dungeon. The word dungeon finds its origins in the 13th century, meaning great tower of a castle, which comes from the 12th century old French word donjon, D-O-N-J-O-N, which means the exact same thing. That word stems from the Gallo-Roman dominonium. Oh gosh, I pronounced that wrong. Dominonem. Dominionem. <laughs> and the late Latin dominium from the Latin word dominus, meaning master of the castle. That word is tangentially related to the word domain. The sense of the word that referenced a castle keep led to the more modern meaning of a strong underground cell in English in the early 14th century. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, and Board Game Geek Guild. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Have suggestions for the show? Shoot us an email at BoardGameBlitz at gmail.com. Until next time, all work and no blitz makes Jack a dull boy. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.